Let me uh, lead us in prayer as we come to God's word. Father, we pray as we come to your word, as we always do, that your spirit would work, that these words that we've heard and that all of us have heard um, would do good for us, uh, that it would sink into our hearts and that uh, you would make us pay attention uh, and, and uh, that it would uh, sink in deep and uh, work in us, give us courage and confidence to, to obey what we hear in Jesus' name. Amen. When I first heard the term... FOMO, F-O-M-O, I thought it was a joke designed to have a laugh at the millennial generation. Then someone told me it was actually for real. Uh, and in, cases, in some cases, it's a proper mental health issue that's similar to anxiety. Uh, FOMO, for those of you who missed the boat on that one, is a term, an acronym that stands for the fear of missing out. You take the first letter of each of those words in that phrase, fear of missing out, and you get FOMO. That term's been floating around since about the year 2000. Uh, in 2013, it was officially uh, put into the Oxford Dictionary. And so you probably heard it for the first time somewhere between those years. Now, I thought it was just a joke, poking fun at the angst of a whole teenage, young adult generation with all their third world problems and what they, what they do is they do their own heads in, getting overly anxious and worried about some amazing thing that might be happening, which they're not aware of, that they're not a part of, or that for whatever reason they won't be able to join. And they seriously get themselves anxious and worried and, and stressed about it. It could be one reason why uh, people are checking their phones every couple of minutes. It's apparently particularly bad for people in that generation because of how well connected they are. Uh, using social media and other things, they're able to see all the time. They're able to hear what other people are doing. They're able to see those wonderfully filtered photos about people having an awesome time and, and read really clever tweets 24-7 about things that are happening, which they might feel bad because they're not out there doing those things. They're not having those awesome experiences. You might have a mild experience. You might have experienced a mild form of FOMO yourself if you've ever wandered into a conversation where people are talking about, everyone else is talking about a film or a Netflix series that you haven't seen. And now you wish you had, because then you had something to say about it. You know, at least understand a little bit of what people are talking about. I suppose there may even have been an element of FOMO in the much older idea of keeping up with the Joneses. Where if the Joneses down the road, they had the colour TV, you might want to be onto that quick smart and in a hurry because, well, you want to get with whatever's happening. You want to get on board and not miss out on this wonderful new thing that other people have. And maybe it's a human thing. It's a really human thing to want to be part of the action, to not miss out on something great. We're wired to be in community. We're wired to be aware of each other and the relative status of each other and what other people are doing in our group. And what I want to do this morning is to help channel your fear of missing out into somewhere that's actually good. In Luke 13, Jesus is continuing on his way through Israel, on his way to Jerusalem, where he'll be arrested and crucified. He's en route, and presumably he is continuing to gather a following as he's teaching and uh, preaching and doing all sorts of miracles. And in one of these towns, he's asked a question. Luke 13 Verse 23, someone asked him, Lord, 
are only a few people going to be saved. This person's obviously been listening to what Jesus is saying. They can see from the signs that he's doing that Jesus is on about salvation. But maybe this particular town, not many people seem to be coming on board. Is this salvation Jesus is bringing, is it going to be for everyone? For many people? Or just a few? Are only a few going to be saved? Now, what is your expectation? What is Jesus' intention in how many or how few people are going to be saved? He says, the door is narrow. That's not what you want to hear, is it? You don't want to hear that. But Jesus isn't going to lie to you to make you feel better. The door is narrow. And many people will see it as too narrow, so they won't go through it. But at least Jesus does us the courtesy of telling us straight. There's not many doors that lead to eternal life. There's one. Not all religions go to the same place. In fact, all religions except one will lead you to hell. Jesus is recorded in John's Gospel as saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the door, he'll say, and the gate for the sheep. Whoever enters through me will be saved. There is only one door, and that door is narrow. And you don't automatically pass through it. Contrary to popular opinion, I was listening to something Joyce had on in the car. I think it was Mariah Carey or Boys to Men, maybe a collaboration. And they seem to have this, they're, they're Americans, and they have this idea that basically anybody who dies will go to a better place. You might have heard that song. You might know what I'm talking about. But not everyone who dies is going to go to a better place. People only say that stuff at funerals because they're uncomfortable and they want hope. Jesus says here, actually, many people are going to miss out because this door is narrow. And not only because it's narrow, the door's going to close. Look at verse 24. He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you'll stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. He will answer, I don't know you. Yes, I'm aware what I'm saying is offensive and it's tough to swallow. No one likes saying this sort of stuff. This is what Jesus himself says. Not everyone is going to get in. Not everyone is going to be saved. And he isn't saying this to be mean. It doesn't, it's not like Jesus doesn't want people to come to him. He's urging them, actually. You look at his words. He's saying, make every effort to enter. Do you see how Jesus doesn't just answer the person who asked him this theoretical question about how many people are going to come in? Is it many or is it a few? He pushes it further. He says, what about you? Are you going to be saved? Make every effort. He wants people to come, but he knows many people won't make it until it's too late. Once the door closes, people will realize, oh wait, I want to get in there. 
it's no good out here, but each of us only get one lifetime. How long? None of us know before we all give an account to God. There is no reincarnation. There is no purgatory. We die once and then face judgment is what scripture tells us. In this passage, the kingdom of God is depicted here as a great feast. Verse 29. That you can get to through this door that's closing. And if you ever want your fear of missing out to kick in, this is the one party you don't want to miss out on. This is the only way to life with God forever. The only way. Now, for some of you, that's exactly your problem with Christianity. You hear Jesus say these things and it's so exclusive. It's so narrow-minded and you don't want a bar of it. Or you might know people in that situation. But before you judge God for being unfair or for being a snob, think about it. None of us would do what he did for us. None of us would do what he's done for his enemies. None of us would open up a door to invite enemies and the undeserving to come so you can pour out your love and your blessing and your goodness on them and to invite them to sit at your table to enjoy your feast. God owes us nothing. And he's opened up a door. A narrow door, yes. But a door. How incredible. There is a door. There's actually a way to salvation and reconciliation with the God that we've forgotten and abandoned. Because he's opened up a way. Don't bemoan the fact that there's only one way. There's a way. There's a door to life, which is exclusively in that there's no salvation without Jesus. There's no forgiveness apart from Jesus. There's no eternal life apart from Jesus. It is exclusive. It is narrow. And at the same time, it's the most inclusive thing possible. Because as exclusive and as narrow as it is, everyone is invited to come. Everyone is welcome to come through that one narrow door, no matter who you are. Verse 29. People will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Whatever ethnicity or age or wealth, however smart you are, whether you've done more good than bad or the other way around, you've done more bad things than good, everyone is welcome to repent of their sin and to put their faith in Jesus. Enter through that narrow door. It all seems to depend on just one thing, actually. It all depends on whether you have a relationship with a person who can let you in. Verse 25. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you'll stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. He will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you'll say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. And they'll be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself thrown out. People will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. 
You notice in verse 26 there, there are people here who can say they were familiar with Jesus' teaching. They ate with him. They knew all about him. But they still found themselves on the wrong side of the door. And I suspect what's happening is that they might know all about Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus. It's like spending all that time looking at the door, hanging around the door, without actually walking through. Is that you this morning? Your parents are Christian, your family's Christian, your, your friends are Christian, maybe the school you're at is Christian. And you've been around church, you've, you've read parts of the Bible, and because of that, you might want to say to Jesus in the end, I belong to you, and he'll say to you, no, you don't. I don't know you. Sure, you knew a lot of people who knew me, but you aren't one of them. Do you know Jesus? Do you love him? Have you turned to him and put your trust in him? And do you worship him as Savior and God and Lord? It's not about your family. It's not about your friends or your group or your school. It has to be you. Where are you with Jesus? Have you walked through that narrow door of salvation? Now, the impression that you get in verse 28 is that those shut out from salvation, those on the wrong end of the door at the end of the day, they can actually see what they're missing. The FOMO is real. Verse 28. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. And it's not like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are shut out. No, they're in. But you can see into that place of blessing from the outside. And you get to see the perfection of love and grace and mercy and this feast going on inside and forever you get to regret missing out. Letting that opportunity pass you by. And that's on you, no one else. Why do that to yourself when there's an open door right there, right now? The door God has opened is Jesus. And Jesus knows it. That's why he's focused and determined to get to Jerusalem. Uh, look at verse 31. At that time, Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox I'll keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I'll reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. These religious leaders, they warn Jesus, Jesus, be careful, stop teaching and stop preaching or they'll kill you. And Jesus says, I know. That is why I'm going to Jerusalem. Jesus has to go there. He has to suffer and die because he wants to do that in our place for our sin as our saviour. He'll go and pay our debt. He'll open that door and make a way for us to come to God. 
And Jesus, he knows what he's going to go on to do is the only way that any of us ever hope that we're going to be saved. When you understand that's what Jesus is about, there's one or two things that that does to you. If you're the proud sort, Jesus' plan offends you. Because you understand he's saying you can't save yourself. You can't be good enough. Things are not okay with you as they are, and you're going to need his help. And at that point, some of us walk away because we don't want to hear it, and it's nonsense to us. But for those of us ready to admit that we can't do this on our own, those of us who are aware of our limits and just how far short we fall, when you realize what Jesus is doing for you, you know he gives you real hope which is why so many of us have come to him, to squeeze through that narrow door. And it's the way back to God. It's the way to life. This calls for humility. It's no good complaining about the narrowness of the door. There's no other way. And please don't just stare at this open door. That doesn't do you any good. Would you walk through it? That's your decision. Jesus leaves us a pretty clear challenge that he's done absolutely everything that can be done. And if you'd like to take him up on this offer of salvation, I'll ask you to pray with me now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that, that we deserve nothing from you except judgment for our, for our rebellion. In love, you made a plan to open a door of salvation from where you are to where we are, from your holiness to our sinfulness. We thank you that Jesus humbled himself. He became a man, that he lived without sin, that he died the death we should have died, the death for our sin, and that he rose again to conquer sin and death and open a narrow opportunity between you and us. Father, we come to you now. Sorry for ignoring you so long. Forgive us and help us to live for you from now on. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.